Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. Good morning, Simple Church. Good morning, good morning, good morning. What an incredible weekend it is here at Simple Church. It's been, it's been awesome so far. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about myself. First, I'm, I'm Aaron. I'm the lead pastor here. Welcome today. We've had an incredible weekend as a church. Half of us went to a wedding yesterday, but a good portion of us, this incredible band, was rocking out at the Tomato Festival yesterday and uh, on the main stage, and uh, that was an incredible blessing. How many of you guys actually were there for that when all the band members raised their hands? <laughs> Uh, we have video coming of that, so be watching for it to be posted. But what an incredible opportunity for us as a church to publicly worship God and declare His praises. Amen? And uh, we believe God was doing things in the supernatural and the spiritual realm that we can't even begin to describe because of our, our presence and an opportunity there that day. So uh, today we are continuing a series. And first let me say this. If you are a guest with us here today, we are so glad that you chose to be here with us today. You could be at anywhere. You could be at any of the churches here in Reynoldsburg or the surrounding areas, but you chose to be here with us today. In fact, can we show our new guests some love and welcome them? Tell them thank you for being here today. Again, as, uh, as Tim said during the announcements, we have a gift bag just for you. If you didn't snag one, you can see guest services out there. Sylvia or Kimberly are out there today, and you can ask them, and they will give you a, uh, a, guest, a guest bag, or a gift bag, excuse me. So, all right, so we're going to jump into what we're going to talk about today, and we're in this series, but before we do, I have one thing that, we're gonna, that I, I want to share with you and ask you to help me with, okay? We, uh, we do these series, we do these teaching series, and, and uh, I, I teach them and plan them out as God leads me, but, but, but I, have, I have a big ask for you today, because God has, I feel like we're all at different places in our spiritual journey, and I feel like I needed to present you with an opportunity to tell me what you would like me to teach. And so we're going to do an entire series called You Asked For It. And I'm asking you to tell me what could I teach or what could I share that would help you move forward in your spiritual journey. Wherever you're at in your, in your life, what, what could you learn? What, what could I share? And so the way that I'm asking you to share that is, is on our app. If you have the Simple Church app, if you don't, you can look at somebody next to you and say, how do I get the app? And they will help you get the app. Or you can feel free to even open the app right now, but there's a button in the app called Vote Now. If you hit that button, it pulls up a little form for you to fill out. It gives me your name and the subject that you feel, hey, Aaron, if you taught this, this would help me grow spiritually. And so that is your opportunity there. So today, this week, will be your last week to do that, okay? So because th- after this week, we're going to start planning and planning the material and choosing which subjects we're going to be able to address uh, at, at, here at the church. But we, we plan to spend some time doing that. So, so your participation is paramount in that. Otherwise, we might spend like the next four or five weeks like showing up and be like, well, you guys didn't ask for anything. So Euchre, should we play? Like, what do we do? <laughs> and, and the answer is yes on Euchre every time. So... <laughs> so this series we're, that we're in is called Heroes, and it's, uh, it's Heroes, God of the Underdogs. Essentially, when we look in the Bible, we see all the heroes of faith from the Old Testament were at one point in time considered to be underdogs. God chose to do something great through a person, 
a person that became a hero of faith, but they didn't start that way. They all started as an underdog, somebody that was counted out, somebody that, that you would have considered discarded or the weakest of the group. It's like, why would you pick them? But the reason God picks them is because they're the illogical one. They're the ones that you wouldn't pick. They're the ones that, that have a history or a past or where they're from that you wouldn't think they could do it, and that's why God chooses to use them because when he does that, when he does something great through somebody who is the wrong person for the job, he receives glory for it. And so these heroes of the faith, we've been looking at them because they all are just like you and I. They all had potential to be something great. And God saw the potential in them, and in order for them to tap into that potential, they had to overcome excuses. And so we've been looking at these underdogs. One of the weeks we spent looking at King David. And King David had to overcome the excuse of, I'm not qualified enough. His family didn't even think he was qualified enough to be anointed as king. Then we talked about Jacob. Jacob had a label that was holding him back. His entire life, he had behaved a particular way because of a label that somebody had put on him. Or Mephibosheth, a guy who I'm convinced his parents hated him because they named him Mephibosheth. Thank you. I have told that joke three weeks in a row, and you all are still laughing about it. It's wonderful. I love you. But he had to overcome the, 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 the excuse of, I, I've gone too far. I'm too far gone to be used. I'm too far gone to sit at the king's table. And today we're going to look at another hero who, again, is just like you and me. He was an underdog with potential. His situation wasn't the best. He was from the wrong side of the tracks. He was born to the wrong family. And yet God chose him anyhow, and his name is Gideon. Now, the big idea that I want you to walk away with today is that even when the odds are stacked against us, God is still for us. Even when the odds are stacked against you, God is still for you. As I look across my life and even across the history of this church, there were times where if God didn't step in, we were going to sink. The odds were stacked against us, and we needed God to do something. And I believe that that God likes to arrange circumstances so that the odds are stacked against us. I think he intentionally does this because it brings us to a place where, man, we got to believe that he's going to do something and we're done. It brings us to a place of total abandonment of self, total abandonment of my abilities, my resources, and complete reliance on him. And I think he does that intentionally. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you're the guy or the gal in a, in a department that's completely underfunded at work, and yet you've, you've got a project or something you need to accomplish. Or maybe, maybe you didn't have the opportunity to go to the prestigious college or even college at all. Whatever the situation is, somewhere in your life, the odds are stacked against you. And I think there's a lot that we can learn from Gideon's life that will teach us about God's nature and who we are as underdogs. And so this week, we're going to look at Gideon's story. And let me, let me give you a little bit of a setup, okay? Since we've already talked about David, we're actually going to go back in time a little before King David, before King Saul, before Samuel was ever a prophet, there was a guy named Moses. And Moses was one of the guys who, or was the guy who led the Israelites out of captivity in Egypt. And his successor was Joshua. And Joshua led the Israelites into what's called the promised land. And when they got to the promised land, Joshua's job was to obliterate all the people that were in there because they they were worshiping idols and they they, they were resistant to God. And he said, wipe all these people out. And so after Joshua, there's a period of time where there's no specific ruler. There's times when the people needed something and God would appoint judges or he would send prophets. And these judges would rule for a 
specific amount of time. And so we're going to be in the book of Judges today. And what, where we're picking up is the Israelites are being impoverished. They are, they are being oppressed by a group of people called the Midianites, okay? And the Midianites are coming in. They're robbing from them. They're stealing. They're killing their children. They're, they're, they're laying their cities to waste. And the Israelites are in a place of hiding. They're hiding in caves and cracks and rocks because they're frightened. In fact, in order for them to even harvest the food that they had grown, they would have to hide in order, in order to harvest it so that way the Midianites didn't come in and take it from them. The Midianites also let their, their cattle roam their lands, and so they had no place to feed their animals. They were impoverished. They were cut off from supply. They were cut off from the world. And here's what's interesting. This isn't in my notes, and maybe I think it's interesting, and you won't, but this is going to be the second week that I'm going to say this. And I said it first service, and I'm saying it today. I think I'm talking to somebody here, if it's not just myself. But here we have a group of people, the Midianites, that Joshua didn't completely destroy. In other words, he didn't deal with them. And now they're back, generations later, tormenting the Israelites. Why do I tell you that? Because the things that are challenging you, the things that you're supposed to completely eliminate in your life, those things that you're avoiding dealing with are going to eventually be your undoing. They may not be your undoing. They may be your children's undoing. They may be your community's undoing. They may be the undoing of people that you work with. But those things that you're avoiding dealing with need to be taken care of. Now, I have no idea who I'm talking to, so don't think that God's got some like beam of light on you and I'm going, you, it's you right there. But those things that you left, that you leave unchecked, will be your undoing. It's not in my notes. That was free for you today. And so these people are being, so the Israelites are being impoverished by the Midianites, the people that, that they should have been, never should have been there in this part of history. And the people would cry out to God for help. And so this is where we're going to pick up. We're picking up in Judges 6. And uh, by the way, if you need a Bible today, we would love to give you one. We believe God's word is transforming. It is necessary for your life. If you need one, if you would just put your hand up like this, my service host will get you a Bible. And that is our gift to you. But the verses will also be up on the screen, okay? So Judges 6, verses 6 through 8, it says, Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. And when the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of, the, of Midian, he sent them a prophet. So the people are distraught. They don't, they don't know what to do, and they've cried out to God, and they've said, hey, you were the one who delivered us out of Egypt. You were the one who's taken care of us in the past. We need you now. And so God answers, and he sends them a prophet. The first thing I think we, we need to learn from Gideon's story is that God always chooses a person. He always chooses people to act on their behalf. They're crying out. They're like, God, we need something. We need you to help. And he sends a prophet. He sends a person. And the prophet begins to speak into their life. And he says, hey, listen, everything's going to be okay. God's going to take care of you. He's going to send somebody to conquer the Midianites. But whenever there's a need or God wants to impact a group of people, he always chooses a leader to step in. When a group of people have cried out all through the Bible... A person has been chosen to go. And today, you need to believe that there are a group of impoverished people. There are a group of people that are suffering, that are praying to God right now about their situation. And guess what the answer is? You. I don't mean simple church. I don't mean the person sitting next to you. I don't mean me. I mean you. You are the answer to their prayer. All that greatness that has bottled up inside of you 
the potential that you have, you are the answer to their prayers. God chooses people to do that. It may be people in your neighborhood who don't know how to handle their finances well, and they need you to spend some time investing in them to help them understand money and how to, how to live with a budget. Like, I have no idea. Maybe it's, a, it's people in your neighborhood or your community who are having difficulty adjusting to the culture or need help speaking the language, and they need somebody to tutor them. I'm not sure. Around here, I can tell you one area that, I wouldn't call it impoverished, but, but, but an area here, in, in, even in Simple Church, that is needing some help is our kids' ministry. This week, I reached out, and I said, hey, we need some help in our kids' ministry. The workers, the people that have been working in our kids' ministry are really close to burnout. That means they're all done. They're tapping out. I can't take anymore because they're serving every week. They're serving every Sunday. Some, some of them are serving both services. And so I reached out and I said, hey, could anybody serve in the children's ministry once every other month? That's six times a year. You can go to a service and serve, and then you can attend a service here. Who could do that for me? And I am happy to tell you that I got eight responses. And I am so thankful for the people who volunteered. But let me tell you what was missing. Men. And I began to pray. I said, Lord, I, we need some men that are willing to step into the children's ministry. You say, Aaron, what's the matter? You're not thankful for the women of this church that stepped up? No, that's not, that's, that's not what I'm saying at all. I believe our kids need both. They need both influences. They need men to step in and say, this is just as important as the women who have already stepped up and said there's a group of kids. You've got a pastor who is praying for men. Maybe you are the answer to that prayer. Because I believe that that investment in the kids will make all the difference in the world. If you're sitting next to a guy, just rib him. Just rib him a little bit. But I, I know exactly the kind of pushback that you're going to make to a statement. Like, you could be the answer to the prayer. I, I know the pushback that you have to that because... Because that pushback is exactly what Gideon gave. See, look what he says here in in verse 12. He says, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, here's what you need to know. When this angel shows up and says this to Gideon, I I see lots of sarcasm in the Bible, okay? This is just my mode. I see it. The verses before this tell us that Gideon is sitting in a wine press. And he's beaten chaff. He's, he is separating the wheat from the tares. He is separating the good from the bad of his harvest. He's harvested in the wheat, and he's sitting there. It's a process called beating the chaff. He's separating the, the grains that he can use with the stuff he can't use. And he's in a wine press doing it. What do you make in a wine press? Wine. You don't beat the chaff in the wine press. What is Gideon doing? He's hiding He's frightened. He's fearful that if the Midianites see him harvesting and separating out the wheat, that they're going to come and attack him, kill him, take his harvest. And yet the angel of the Lord steps onto the scene. This is where I see the sarcasm. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. To a dude who's in hiding. It doesn't make sense, does it? But look, let me tell you something about God. This is what we can learn about the nature of God. God doesn't ever call you by who you are right now. He speaks to you in terms of who you could be. Always. Always. So Gideon responds. He's like, pardon me, my Lord. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have 
and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Look, God didn't ask him to go on some holy quest and find a secret sword or to obtain resources or to do, he says, go in the strength that you have. Look, when God calls you to do something, he says, just use what you've got. Just take what you've got in your hand. What do you have? Even when Jesus fed the 5,000, he said, what do we have? He said, well, we've got five loaves and two fishes. That'll feed everybody. And he did it. God is always asking us, what do you have? What can you use to reach people? He says, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Look, I don't know about you, but we've got an angel standing here. How many of you guys have ever seen an angel? Right, didn't think so. So Gideon's got an angel standing in front of him, and his pushback is, nah, I don't really think I could do that. Like the second I saw a flaming sword or some wings or something like that, I'd be like, we're good to go. You coming with me? Like legit. But he's so focused on himself that he can't even see the glory of an angel, God's messenger, right in front of him. Telling him, hey, mighty warrior. I'd be like, give me the sword. You can go. I want the sword. Is my nerd showing? Apologize. (laughs) He says, am I not the one sending you? He responds again, pardon me, my Lord Gideon, replied. But how can I save Israel? He's got the wrong question. How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Gideon, Gideon, he, he says, hey, I'm, I'm from the wrong clan. I'm the weakest in my family. You should go talk to my brother. He's, he's built. He's strong. He's a man of war. Go, go talk to him. I'm hiding. I'm the wrong guy for the job. One of the, thing, the other thing we can learn from Gideon's story is God's not concerned with our excuses. He's, he's not con- he doesn't care about what your excuses are. The moment God stirs Gideon's heart for his people, the moment he shows him what he wants him to do, Gideon, he pushes back. And he has two very specific excuses. And I think these are excuses are where you and I get hung up all the time. The first excuse is, Why? Why are we in this situation? How come I got to go help these people? Why would you allow that? If you're such a good and gracious God, why would you let that happen? How come cancer exists? Why do I need to run a 5K and support this group? <laughs> what? Why are there hungry people? If you're so good, how come people don't just have food? We, we ask these why questions. It's the wrong question. It's the wrong conversation to be having, isn't it? It's not a conversation that moves it forward. Why? You're pointing a finger. Look at what you're not doing. The second second excuse was how. How How can you use me? I'm the weakest. I don't have the resources. I'm not connected. You don't know my past. You don't know what they think about me. You don't know who I am. How how can I do that? We get hung up on those way too often. And all those questions do is reflect where you're really looking. Anytime God calls you to do something and you start looking at what you have and what you're able to do, you've missed it. You've missed it. 
It's not about you. If he's called you to do it, if he's called you to reach a people, if he's given you a dream, that he will provide. He will make a way when there is no way. He'll do it. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever seen a group of people who are hurting, your heart was stirred, and you just get hung up on those questions? Why would this happen? How can I be of any help? You never know until you try. You never know until you take what's in your hand and do what you can do. We get hung up. Doubt creeps in and keeps us stationary. It keeps us polarized where we are. We do nothing. We get stuck on those excuses. But today, let me tell you something. If you're listening to those voices in your heart, they're asking why and the how. Those are lying voices that say that you can't do anything. Today, you need to make a decision. I'm not going to listen to those voices anymore. You can be free from those things. Because you are God's answer to somebody's prayer. And you need to begin to believe that today. You need to. So, Gideon does, in the story, continues on, Gideon does what a lot of us have done whenever we feel like God's told us to do something. He's bought into it and said, all right, I'm going to set the people free. And he does what I know I've done many times, and I'm going to confess and bear my soul, because I know you've done it too. You hear God telling you to do something, and you're sitting at a traffic light, and you're like, all right, Lord, if this traffic light changes in the next five seconds, I know it's you, right? (laughs) Anybody ever done that before? Or you had something like that, you know, like, hey, if if, if so-and-so calls me, I'll know this is you. And then the phone rings, and you're like, all right. If Justin Bieber calls me, then I'll know. <laughs> or that light changes, and you get to the next one. All right, Lord, do it again. I'm in a hurry. Let's go. Another five seconds. Gideon, Gideon does that. And how many of you know God's not intimidated by your request for his confirmation of his word? He's not afraid of that. It doesn't have to be something as silly as a traffic light, but... But look what Gideon does. Gideon takes a, a fleece, a rug, and he throws it on the ground and he says, all right, God, here's what I want you to do. If this is really you. I'm going to need confirmation that, that you want me, the weakest guy, to lead this army. I want dew everywhere on the ground in the morning. That's not a difficult thing, but I want none on the rug. He goes to sleep, gets up the next morning, dew everywhere, nothing on the rug. That's great. That was a nice trick. Do it again but the other way around. Dew on the rug and nothing on the ground. So he goes to sleep, wakes up, and it's done. God, God confirmed it in his heart. So Gideon decides to move forward, and he goes out and gets an army together, and Judges 6 transfers into Judges 7, and verse 1 it says, Early in the morning, Gideon and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. And the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into, the hands or is, into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now this is a, what you talking about Willis moment. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, wait a minute. <laughs> you called me to do this. I went out campaigning. I sat in a car and I waved. I got on a bullhorn and called people and said, join my army. I printed adverts and handed them to people. I was kissing babies. I've got 32,000 people that we're going to go up against an army of 135,000. 
And you said, what? I have too many. (laughs) But how many of you know that, that God loves to stack the deck against us, doesn't he? He loves to create these impossible odds. Because when he answers in the midst of those things, you know it had nothing to do with you. He loves to create those circumstances in our lives that he can only get credit for. And so it continues on in verse 3. It says, God's continuing to say, he says, Now announce to the army, anybody who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 of the 32,000 men left and 10,000 remained. Now, I don't know if you can tell this by looking at me, but I'm not really a man of war. I'm a lover, not a fighter. And uh, that doesn't mean that if my country called, I wouldn't go to defend it. It just means that I'm not going to sign up for that. Like, I didn't, I didn't choose that life, okay? I'd, I'd rather not. And if I was in the army and he said, anybody who's afraid can go, I'd have been like, oh, my God, thank you so much. I am so gone. <laughs> I was just here for the donuts. I didn't even... but I'd have been out and so 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 22,000 leave and there's 10,000 left now if you're doing math this is a 13 to 1 odds okay that's some underdogs and the verse continues it says but the Lord said to Gideon There are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. If I say, this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So God says, look, you've got too many. And Gideon, I need you to get on board with this, because I'm going to tell you how many you can have, okay? I'm going to thin this out a little more. I need you to get on board with this. And so Gideon says, yep, let's do it. So it says, Gideon, so Gideon took the men down to the water, and there the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from, as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs, and all the rest got down on their knees to drink. So if I'm Gideon, and I know God's going to thin these out a little bit, I'm going to go, all right, you 300, you are looking like dogs. You're out. You're gone. I'm going to take this 9,700 over here with me. That's, that's not what happens. No, the guys who are licking water up like dogs are the ones God calls and says, those are the ones you get to take. I get to take the dog people? The underdogs. You're going to take those guys, the misfits, the ones who lapped up water like a dog. Those are the ones you're going to take, and those are the ones you're going to use. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others, because he was pretty sure he was going to need all their stuff. Hey, your backpacks and all your food, just leave it. We're going to have a festival tonight. It's going to be like our last supper. You know what I'm saying? So he sends them away. One of the other things we need to learn from Gideon's story is that God always asks us to trust his uncommon logic. 300 makes sense to God. It doesn't make sense to us. 300 against 135,000? That's insane odds. 
But that makes sense to God. And Gideon had to trust that God had him, even when the numbers didn't make sense. And God expects you and I to trust him even when the numbers don't make sense. Even when we don't have the opportunities. Even when every door has been closed in our face and you need to launch your church in a funeral home. Which is what we did, for those of you who are guests and don't know. When every door is closed and every opportunity has been limited, you still need to trust God. Trust his uncommon logic. Because God was either going to show up big for Gideon or they were going to go down. That's, they were going to go down in a blaze of 300 glory. Maybe you understand the situation. Maybe you can relate. Your odds are that bad. There's no possible chance of, of recovery. I know here at Simple Church, even being in this building, the odds were stacked against us. And the way we found this is a fun story. I'm not going to share that one today. I have another story I want to share with you. Because while that's a cool one, how we wound up, wound up here at the story, my, my favorite story of when the odds were completely stacked against some people who comes from March 2012. In March 2012, we hadn't even planted yet. In fact, I was pretty sure I was going to be a campus pastor for a church called C3 in Pickerington. Simple Church wasn't even on the radar for me, which just goes to show you how God is, you know. And I remember waking up on a Thursday morning, and I had this, I don't know how to describe it other than an impression. And the only, it was this impression for the city of, or for the, uh, for the city of Moscow, and it was like this ringing in my ears when I woke up. Before I even swung my feet out of bed and stood up, Moscow, Moscow, Moscow. I'm like, Lord, is this you? Are you speaking to my heart about Moscow? What in the world is this? Never experienced anything like it. Still haven't experienced anything like it to this day. So I got up and I, I, I started to pull out my phone and Google what was going on in Moscow. But I just decided, you know what? I'm gonna, if this is God, I'm just going to pray. So I prayed for the city of Moscow. I prayed for the oppression of the government and for the, the people that may be hurting there, for the extreme cold that they may be going through. Like, I had no idea what was going on in Moscow. Done. I even called my pastor that day, and I said, hey, do you, have you heard anything in the news about Moscow, what's going on? And he said, no, I, I don't know anything that's going on in Moscow. Washed my hands clean of it. I had prayed. If it was God, great. If it was just bad pizza, fine. We got it covered. You know what I'm saying? Because you all know what I'm talking about. Like, you eat something funky before you go to bed, and you just wake up. I don't know. <laughs> so there's a few of you know what I'm talking about. It's fried chicken wings. Bad idea at 11 o'clock at night. Anyway, so, so I, I prayed about it. I woke up on Monday morning. So that was Thursday morning. I go through my weekend, and I wake up Monday, and I still feel this impression from Moscow. Moscow, Moscow. What in the world is going on with Moscow. I pray for Moscow again. And this time I decided I'm, I'm, I'm going to go to the Google machine and I'm going to ask it, what's going on with Moscow? And the result that I got was not the one that I had expected. Because, see, when you think Moscow, where do you think Moscow is? It's Russia, right? I'm praying for the people of Russia. I didn't know that Moscow, Ohio even existed. N no clue. How many of you guys knew Moscow, Ohio existed? Oh, there's a couple of you. All right. In Moscow, Ohio, in March 1st, 2012, had been obliterated by an E3 or F3, F3, I think, tornado. They were one of several cities in the tri-state area along the, the, the river. 
This is a small city of about 225 people, so maybe more of a village. Completely destroyed. 80% of the homes in that city were destroyed. And as I watched this video that somebody made, and it was, it was I think it's a Stephen Curtis Chapman song, I'll Praise You Through the Storm, I wept. I bawled my eyes out like, oh my God, what is happening here? And I knew in that moment that this was the Moscow I was supposed to be praying for. But this, this impression from Moscow didn't leave me after I prayed for him. It only served more confirmation. Maybe God was calling me to do something. So I started researching. Monday turned into Tuesday. I'm still looking up everything I can before I went to work. And Tuesday I found an article that listed a pastor at a church down there. And so I decided to call him up. He didn't call me back until Wednesday because I said, I want to know, I don't want to know what I can do for you. In the meantime, I decided, because of the, of the absolute destruction that had happened down there, I have a friend that works in the, state, in the senator's office. And I called him and I said, hey man, what's going on? What is the state doing for Moscow? He's nothing. He said, I was down there the day after it happened. I was working with the Red Cross. They have food, they have water, they have clothes, they have their basic needs met. He said, the problem is that all their homes, they're now in a flood zone. And a lot of the people, when they bought their homes or built their homes, weren't initially. And so the insurance that they all had on their homes, they never updated the policies to now cover the fact that their house would have to be rebuilt a certain way. And so their insurance policies were insufficient. They couldn't rebuild their homes. 80% of this city gone, and the people are dispersed, and they're living in friends' homes in the areas around them, families uprooted. This is an impoverished people, and I knew nothing about them until God put them in my heart. And so I said, well, what about FEMA? If the state's not doing anything about it, what about Habitat for Humanity? What about the Red Cross? He's like, Red Cross doesn't rebuild homes. They just provide emergency relief. What about FEMA? Surely after after New Orleans was destroyed, would they not show up and do something? Would there not be federal funds to help these people? He said, no, there's, there's not a dime coming from the federal government. FEMA won't declare it a, a national disaster. It's not big enough. And I knew I needed to do something. Did you ever have one of those moments where you, you feel like you need to do something for somebody and you're just trapped? What, what do I do? What, what can I do? And this was my moment. And I decided, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take up an offering. We're going to do it. So I called my mom, and my mom gave me some money. And I got some money. I'd... We got together $250. So I'm taking $250. What is that going to do for people who need their homes rebuilt? It's not even enough to pay the closing costs on a house, right? So I, I began to pray. I prayed, I said, Lord, I want to take down something bigger than me. I want to pray a bold prayer. I want to pray something that honors you. I want to take them something that I have nothing. I don't have it. And, I, and I, in my heart, I said $10,000 would be a lot of money. And I began to pray for $10,000, and I prayed that prayer. I can't do anything to get this $10,000. i will just wait. So I got a call from the pastor, and the pastor finally reached back out to me and said, Aaron, you got to come down and you got to see it. And I said, all right, Lord, if you need me to come down there and see it, then I'm going to go to my boss and I'm going to ask him for the second day off this week. 
I'm going to ask him for Friday off. And if he gives it to me, then I'll know I'm supposed to go down. I went in and explained it to him. I said, look, I don't know anybody. I just heard about it. It's almost been a month since it happened. But this pastor wants me to come down. Yeah, that's fine. Go. You have my blessing. <laughs> what? So I planned a road trip. Before I did, I stepped out and I prayed and I said, God, even if I take $10,000 to Moscow, what is that, a drop in the bucket? For 80% of the city that is gone, how can that help? And in that moment, I had this, this intense moment with God where I felt the Holy Spirit speak to my heart. And again, I've never had another moment like this one. But I felt led to pray different. And I said, God, this $10,000 is enough. So I pray that you would send, and I've never prayed this prayer before. I've prayed it tons of times since. But I pray that you would send wealthy businessmen and women into Moscow. I pray that they would get their attention and that you would send corporations with money to take care of Moscow. I'd never heard of anything like that. You know, happening outside of a charity or a fund, fundraiser. Somehow this has got to happen, God. And I felt that, that ringing in my heart that God heard me. After talking to the pastor, he said, there's no help coming. There's nothing coming. My friend at the senator's office, there's nothing coming. There's no help coming. So I took my $250 check and I drove down to Moscow, Ohio on Friday. Got my son in the car and we drove down. There's video footage of it and maybe I'll think to repost it sometime later this week on Facebook. But we got there and we got to the church where the pastor was supposed to meet us. And he wasn't there. We went and walked around and walked at all the doors and no pastor. So we waited five minutes, 10 minutes, 10 minutes turned into 20, into 30. About 45 minutes later, this guy shows up. He said he was sorry and I said, I didn't mind, I lied. <laughs> I said, we had been entertaining ourselves, I lied again, we were bored out of our skulls. And I quickly got my wallet out and I handed him my $250 check. I said, I wanted to bring more. This is what I could get. He said, thank you so much. He said, once you come inside, I want to tell you something. And as we're walking through the building, he said, I have to apologize for being late. I said, it's okay. It's really okay. He said, no, you don't understand. He said, see, there was, there was no help coming. And you offered to come down and see it and I, was, I, I should have been here, he said. But this morning, there was a city hall they called a meeting. Those of us that were able showed up there. He said, and this morning, a bank rolled in unannounced and called a town meeting. And they gave us $5 million to rebuild our city. They didn't lend it to them. They gave them a grant I said, did you know they were coming? He said, nobody knew they were coming. They showed up this morning and gave us a $5 million grant for us to rebuild our city. And he and I just rejoiced together. Why do I tell you that story? To encourage you? I share it with you to encourage you. Is there something special about me? No. I was willing to be obedient. I was willing to pray a prayer. I was willing to say, Lord, send me, even though my resources were gone. Against all odds, I believe that God chose to use me as a conduit for his blessing for these people, to pray for them, because maybe 
even though they had a local pastor. Who knows why God chose to act the way that he did? But I believe that he used me to pray. And that city, that impoverished people, those impoverished people, their lives are forever changed. You can look all this stuff up in the news. It's there. The news articles are still there. I looked them up this morning to make sure so that when I told you that, you could go look and find them. There are updates on Moscow a year later and what happened. But I tell you this to encourage you today because you are God's answer to a group of people's prayer. I believe that with all of my heart. I believe that even when you don't have the resources, when you don't have the funds, when you don't have the connections, that you are the answer. That God, who loves to stack the deck against us, you can trust his uncommon logic. You can trust it completely. Gideon's story wraps up this way. God wanted to encourage him as well in Judges 7. It says, During the night the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp, because I'm going to give it into your hands. And so he goes and, and he overhears two guys talking. Both of them had had dreams and they're discussing their dream and both of them had had eerily enough the same dream. And it says, I had a dream about this guy named Gideon. He rallied the Israelites and they came and destroyed us and the other guy's like, me too, dude. We're, we're sunk. They're going to kill us. And Gideon fist bumps his buddy and they take off and head back to the camp encouraged because God is sowing fear and discord among them. At his, at his coming. So he goes back to the camp and he begins to organize it. And verse 16 says, Dividing the 300 into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars into the hands of them with torches inside. So he's got a band made up of all trumpets. He's got clay pots and flashlights. Does this not sound like a large group of Boy Scouts trying to earn their merit badge? These are not warriors. There's no weapons. There's no bazookas. There's no way to fight. There's no tanks. They've got jars, flashlights, and trumpets. Look, when God calls us to do something, he always calls us to respond with bold obedience, even when it doesn't make sense. Verse 20 says, the three companies blew the trumpets and they surrounded, they surrounded the city or the, the, the Midianite camp. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets that they were to blow. They shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran crying out as they fled. And when the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn to each other with their, or to turn on each other with their swords. How do you get 300 guys to beat 135,000? You have the 135,000 destroy each other. That's how. That's how you do it. And that's God's way of doing it. God came through. Look, today, I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what your impossible odds are that are stacked up against you. But I have a word from God today. And that, if, that we serve a God who, if we will trust his uncommon logic and respond with bold obedience, that he will come through like we never could have imagined. So here's my challenge today. Are you ready to be the person that God will use? Are you ready to lay aside your excuses? Are you ready to begin having conversations that move you forward instead of the how and the whys? 
holding on to your past. Second challenge is, who's the group of people that God is calling you to engage? Who has he burdened your heart to lead or to assist or impact? Some of you guys today, maybe, maybe you'd say, hey, it's that, it's that kids ministry. And some of you men want to sign up. Will you, will you respond to that? Have God spoke to your heart about it? Well, what other group of people do you know that you could be serving? How will you respond to that? Are you willing to be the one? We serve a God who loves to stack the decks, the deck against us with impossible odds, just to prove to us how faithful he is. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, there are those of you today that you would say, Aaron, today the, the, the odds have been against me all my life. Even now, I can't even see how God would accept me. I've done too many bad things. I'm not cleaned up enough. I'm not worthy. Look, let me tell you something you never will be. You'll never have your life in enough order. You'll never be worthy enough for God to love you. He loves you regardless and despite those things. This isn't about your worth. It's about his love for you. He loves you. He gave his son Jesus for you. Jesus paid a price that you and I should have paid because of our sin. He paid the penalty so that we could become sons and daughters of God. He did that so that that if you would believe in him, that you would be forever changed. Today you have that opportunity to accept Christ, to say, Jesus, be Lord of my life. Transform me, change me. Rescue me from all this that is stacked up against me. If that's you and you're here today and you say, Aaron, I need to accept Christ as my Lord. I need to begin a relationship with God. Or maybe you've exited or walked away from your relationship with God and today you want to make that right. If that's you, would you put your hand in the air and just say, Aaron, that's me. Nobody's looking around. I'm not going to ask you to stand or say anything. I just want to know that you're here so I can pray for you. Thank you for that hand. Anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else? I'm going to pray for you. This prayer is how every relationship begins, through conversation. We just call it prayer because you're talking to God. But I'm going to pray with you, and I would ask you to pray these words. You can say them out loud, or you can say them in, the heart, in your heart, but either way, you need to mean it. It says, Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that you came, that you died and rose from the dead to rescue me from impossible odds. Transform me. Make me brand new. Give me your Holy Spirit. Show me how to live for you. And I'll spend every day doing that. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, right now I pray for every every person under the sound of my voice, either those that are listening through podcasts, through video broadcasts, Lord, or even all those that are here in this room today. God, I pray that you would give us a boldness so that we can respond with obedience. God, even when it seems illogical, even when it doesn't make sense, it doesn't make sense in our finances, it doesn't make sense with our time, it doesn't make sense in our day, it doesn't make sense to our family, it doesn't make sense. But when you've confirmed that you've called us to do it, when you've stirred our hearts to act on behalf of others, 
God, may we respond boldly. May we stop looking at ourselves and look to you, the author and finisher of our faith. Lord, you, God, who are greater and so beyond us. May we look to your power. May may we look to your resources to get past our hang-ups, to get past our excuses, to get past ourselves. And may we come away from those experiences with testimonies of how you showed up in big ways. Lord, I pray today for those that are struggling, believing that they could be the answer to someone's prayer. I pray that you would shore up in their hearts that this is true. And today, God, those of us that have been discounted, those of us that have been discarded, those of us that are underdogs, Lord, that you may lead us in a path where where we may become heroes of faith. Those who have cast all of our hope and our trust and reliance and put it on you. God, do this great work in us today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.